got it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. So in some way, and he never explains this in fullness, Christ came to him and showed him and told him everything. What an incredible thought to ponder right there. Him and Christ, one-on-one. Now, on top of all of those, all of those rhetorical questions, he asks another here in verse 1, another rhetorical question. So, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? And the answer is, again, being a rhetorical question, the answer is they are. They are his workmanship. They are his seal of apostleship. And so he's, he's doing what he's saying in this. He's, he's doing what God has called him to do. He's, go, he's doing what God has equipped him to do. To preach Christ. To preach the gospel. And to make disciples of the Lord. He's being faithful to what God has called him to do. And so he has done that. And as he says even in Colossians. So Colossians chapter 1. Verse 28 through 29. He says there, which, just hear this verse and hear even what you and I are called to do primarily above anything and everything else. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul is saying, I have done that. I have labored. And I am doing that. And you, Corinthians, you are the fruit of that. And so he continues. So rhetorical question after rhetorical question, and he continues with even more of his and the apostles' rights, namely their rights to eat and to marry and to be provided for. Verses 3 through 7. So he will spend the rest of this passage, verses 3 through 14, mostly on that last one, provision. Yet he writes here in verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Now what is that? What is his defense that he has here? And the answer is all of this. (laughs) Verses 1 through 2 and what he's getting ready to say in verses 3 through 14 as well. So if someone came to him and they said, you know what? I don't think so. I don't think you're an apostle. Well, he would give something akin to this multifaceted defense here. Now, there may have been some actually doing that among the Corinthians as well. And we know from 2 Corinthians that people did come and they did exactly that. They challenged his apostleship. And so we see that, but then he goes on and we again have these rhetorical questions here. He has the right to eat, verse 4 as in food offered to idols. So chapter 8, I have that right. So that whole discussion from earlier. And he has the right to take along a believing wife, verse 5, that is if he had a wife, he would have that right. And he has the right to work, verse 6. 
Now maybe, as you see that slew of points he's making there, maybe some of you are thinking of this or notice this, what he's said here. Especially if you've had a background in Catholicism, but we see here a definite ding against the idea of Mary and her perpetual virginity. Or in other words, a knock against the idea that she was always a virgin and she never had any other children. And so it says right here, verse 5, and the brothers of the Lord. So Jesus, he had half-brothers. And get that right, (laughs) half-brothers. Not full blood, but a half-brothers. They weren't virgin-born. They were born from Joseph. Now, of course, there's debate on this, but the overall New Testament testimony is Mary had other children. Now, this, in seeing this this morning, this is another reason we must be fully engaged with the Word of God letting it drive, letting it correct, letting it shape us, letting it shape our faith, letting it shape our beliefs. We don't come to the Bible and say, well, I have this thing right here I believe, therefore, this scripture says contrary to that, I'm going with this belief. We say, I have this belief, scripture says this, so goodbye belief, I'm going with what the Bible says. Now, as we say that, though, this doesn't mean we don't learn anything from history or even from tradition. But we must and we do and we always say Scripture is the authority. We're getting ready to, maybe you've heard this term or not, celebrate Reformation Day. Well, what day is that? October 31st. (laughs) Well, what did Martin Luther and the other reformers emphasize? Sola Scriptura. And so we say that. We say that as believers. We're to live that as believers. We're to let everything come under the Word of God. And so just see that here. In a passing glance of these verses, you may have missed it. But we hold to what Scripture says. And so from here, he turns to what he'll be talking about for the rest of these verses. Provision. So verse 7, soldiers have the right to be cared for. Got it. Farmers too. Yep. And shepherds as well. Yes. Now from this, Paul's defense that we just saw in verse 3, kind of backing back up to verse 3, from that, in view of his defense, I think we need to consider and ask ourselves what is our own defense. As in, the apologetic of our lives. In view of Paul, and this is part of what Paul is saying, You see, Corinthians, you are my seal. He's saying, this fruit is why you can say I'm an apostle as well as these other things. His defense. So in view of Paul, 
Is our life, your life, is it an apologetic at all? Now you probably are like, or maybe some of you are like, well, you lost my apologetic. I don't, I have no idea. Are you saying I need to apologize to somebody about being a Christian? No. (laughs) That's not what that means. Apologetic or apologetics means that you are defending the faith. It's a defense for the faith, a testimony to our faith. And we need to especially consider this in our day. Consider what? The apologetic of our lives. Now, years ago, apologetics was all about answers. And by that, I mean like logical, syllogistic, philosophical answers. You probably maybe have heard of it, evidence that demands a verdict. It was about showing evidences of the Christian faith. Now, let me say, all of that still matters. But in our day, our lives, the whole thing is to be the apologetic. You know, Jesus' words that Francie read a moment ago from the Gospel of John, they could not be more important in our day that we are to love one another. Is that not what we see everywhere we go? People are fighting. There's tribalism. You go on social media. I mean, anywhere you go, not love. But what did Jesus say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our lives, actions, treatment of one another matters, friends. Now in saying this, let me clarify This isn't to the exclusion of words. This isn't to the exclusion of words. Now, maybe you've heard that well quote, and I get, well-known quote, I get it, and I, I like the quote, and I get his point. But we've taken it the wrong direction. What quote am I talking about? Well, a quote likely attributed to Francis of Assisi, where he said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Now maybe you remember it. Well, in hearing that, it's not just wham, bang, there you go, right? (laughs) Got it. My life matters more than words. Bam. I'm never going to say anything about Jesus ever again. It's just my life, and I hope everybody sees it. And if they see my life, then hopefully they'll come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's not the way we're to live or think of these things. Now, our lives and what they look like do matter. I mean, very much so. I have seen communities devastated because of the hypocrisy of believers in that community. Where people in the community just said, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with the church again because of those people right there. I've been in their churches. I've seen them. I'm never going back. So hypocrisy is no joke, and I think that's where his quote comes in. 
But a better saying is, as one pastor said, preach the gospel, and since it's necessary, use words. It's both life and words. In our day, people desperately need to see the whole thing. There is our apologetic. And I think we might get at the heart of this with a question that we need to ask ourselves. Are our lives consistent with the gospel message? Are our lives consistent with the gospel message? You know, Paul, he's pointing to his life. The Corinthians are his seal. The gospel did something to him. Christ did something radical to him. And he'll go on here and say more about that. But true conversion won't lead to nothing. True conversion won't lead to a tree that's completely dry with no fruit. No Jesus in it. A true disciple of Christ bears fruit. Whether it's little or much, they bear fruit as a fruit of what? Not because they're great. Not because we got our, you know, we're really working hard as Christians. But because of the fruit of the Spirit's work and power in their life. That's why there's fruit on the tree. And so Paul's defense has everything to do with Christ and the gospel. Is his apostolic ministry consistent with the gospel? And we would be right to ask of ourselves, is our life consistent with the gospel? And after all that, as we work out our faith with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work and to will and work for his good pleasure. After all of that, who gets the spotlight? Paul doesn't. You don't. God does. Amen. We don't have a me-centered gospel. It's a God-centered gospel. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 31. Chapter 1, verse 31. Now as we see all of that, all of this leads to where Paul's heading here. To preaching the gospel and the right to gospel provision. Verses 8 through 14. Now, we could connect verses 3 through 14 together. And that would be good. Like, not the way I broke it down in your sermon notes. You could go verse 1 through 2 and then verses 3 through 14. And that would be good. Because they are intricately related. Yet, with verse 8 specifically, he hones in here on the idea of common sense provision. And also why I broke it down in your notes this way. On this idea of yeah, you would provide for those people. <laughs> you know, common sense provision. So soldiers, yeah. Farmers, yes. 
Shepherds, yes. And also, Paul, yes. Now before that, though, he says in verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? So in other words, he's asking, is he the only one who is saying this? And he wants to show them and us that the law says this too. And it says it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And so he quotes it there in verse 9 for us to say, as there is no muzzle for oxen, there's to be no muzzle for us either. As there's no muzzle for oxen, there's to be no muzzle for us either. And I think we get that point pretty well, right? I mean, you don't put a muzzle over an ox's mouth as it helps you tread out the grain, right? As it helps you, you know, get the kernels out of the stock. I mean, you just let it eat as it may. Yet even as God cares for oxen, Paul's pointing out the broader point here from that passage. No muzzle for the plowman, no muzzle for the thresher, no muzzle for the laborer, verse 10. And likewise, there isn't to be a muzzle for those who do spiritual good. And this is part of his big point here on provision. So verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Those who feed your soul, who preach the gospel, who labor for the sake of the gospel, Paul's saying they have the right to provision also. Now some might look at this, and I've known people who have, and they've actually said this to me, and they say, sure, pastors can be provided for and so on, but you don't really do anything all day, you know? I mean, you have the easiest job in the world. Now, maybe some of you here are thinking that, like, yeah, he does have the easiest job in the world. Well, let me just tell you, absolutely not. And that's certainly not true. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some pastors out there that might not be giving it their all. But my friends, most are laboring tirelessly right there, week after week after week, pouring themselves out in prayer, laboring over the Word of God, counseling the Word, Teaching the word, discipling the word, leading with the word, learning, considering the vision and mission and opportunities for ministry, being hospitable, doing funerals, doing weddings, doing all sorts of administrative work, sharing the gospel, protecting the flock, working at unity, resolving conflict, and more. It's why many pastors just burn themselves out. It's because they're giving hours and hours of their day and week to ministry. But see here, so we, we need to see that. But at the core though, what must be at the center of pastors and ministers is godly character. 
And we see that in 1 Timothy 3. A godly character that takes up prayer and takes up the word and everything else to the glory of God. Now, I won't say any more about that here, but we need to see from what Paul is saying that there is this right here, the gospel minister's right to provision. And that's what he's saying, the gospel minister's right to provision. And this is where he ends, verses 12 through 14. So he says more here, which I'll get to here in a moment. But this is why he gives these Old Testament examples here. of Those involved in temple service and those who serve at the altar. Uh, the Levites and the priests. So under the Old Covenant, they were provided for also. As we see in multiple places in the Old Testament, I could list them all for you. But with Christ having come, as He has come and fulfilled the Old Covenant, He's saying in view of the New Covenant, how then should we understand gospel ministers? And He says, likewise for the new covenant gospel minister. And so it is that he references Jesus' words in the gospel. So Matthew 10.10 and Luke 10.7. And he does that in verse 14. He says, in the same way the Lord commanded the Lord. He's not giving a general reference. He's talking about Jesus in the gospels. Like the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get They're living by the gospel. Now in view of all of that, we spent a lot of time on this this morning. In view, in light of all of those things, still, what does Paul prioritize? Paul prioritizes the gospel above everything else above everything else. He says in verse 12, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now he'll emphasize this with full force in our verses next week. Verses 15 through 23. But we must see, and what we must see here is that he would not put anything in the way of the gospel. He didn't want anyone to think, you know, all of that suffering I've went through, all the ministry I've done, that mission work I did as an apostle, you know what all that was about? It was just about money. That's why I was doing it. As an apostle, he has the right to gospel provision. And he's provided for even at times. But overall, he would set forth the gospel above everything else. So that, and we can praise God for this, that maybe even today, he would not be looked at as a prosperity preacher. That people would not look at Paul or the other apostles and say, that's why they did that. It was all about money. That's it. They're just going around. They're just trying to get wealthy. 
That's why they're doing it. You see how the churches are given to them? Paul is not preaching your best life now. He's preaching the cross. Amen. And he wants everyone to see and know that what he is about as an apostle is Christ, is the cross of Christ, is the gospel of Christ. And so in all of this, we see the gospel is not me-centered. You may have rights. You may have rights to eat food like he talked about in 1 Corinthians 8. Food offered to idols. You might have that right. But the gospel is primary and is to be primary in everything. Not me-centered. Not for you and not for me. And so taking these verses up, it means that. It means taking up the cross in all these ways. It means his points about provision and that churches are called to support gospel ministers and gospel ministry. We spent a lot of time on that one. I think we've seen that well enough here. It's supporting those doing gospel ministry so that they can do gospel ministry. So I can devote myself to the ministry of the word and to prayer. So missionaries can go out for the sake of the gospel. And so we see that, but we also see ministers and all of us are called to prioritize the gospel in all things. I am. You are. It's not about rights primarily. It is about the gospel primarily for all of us. For me, I'm not to confuse provision from the church with what I'm living for with what I'm to aim for. As in, I'm not to live or think that I'm provided for, and that's all that matters. Eat, drink, and be merry. No. My reward and aim above anything else must be Godward. Otherwise, money won't be helpful it will be devastating. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 onward. And that's not just true of me. That's true of you also. In your labor, in your work, a Godward view of all things. Could it be that God has given you all your wealth or money or whatever you make to make your home, your life about the kingdom of God? That your home would be a headquarters for gospel ministry? How different that is than the way we think of these things. The gospel 
above everything. That's why you have your job. That's why God has given you the money he's given you for the sake of the gospel. And as for pastors, friends, you want a pastor whose eyes are on God. If his eyes are on God and the gospel, then his eyes will be on you and your Godward and gospel as well. He'll be there to love on you, comfort you, and be there even when you kick him in the face. (laughs) Because he is prioritizing, not pleasing man primarily, but pleasing God. And that's what Paul is. Paul's just, you Lord. I'm living for you. So pastors, elders need to consider this soberly. And maybe you, maybe God is calling you to be a pastor this morning. Friends, I am not like, like within churches, there's not just like one guy who's called to pastoral ministry to being a pastor elder. God calls all kinds of people all the time. Men. He calls men all the time to this. And so we need to be asking, could God perhaps be calling me to pastoral ministry? We don't ask that question enough. But I must ask, pastors must ask, is it gospel ministry? Is it labor aimed at that, at God, at His glory, and at the contours of the Great Commission? And you also. This point, all of us, to where our priority is to be, it is to be God, His glory, and the contours of the Great Commission. This is not just a pastor thing. This is not just a missionary thing. It is not just a me thing. It is a us thing. And so as we see these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, may we and all of us embrace the priority of the gospel in all things. We must not take up a me mentality, but this. The gospel, the cross. Take it up. Look to Christ. Because it is in Christ alone where there is hope. And it is in Christ alone that we hope. But he's not just the hope for us, is he? He's not just the hope for our church. But he is the hope for the world. Even for you today, if you don't know Christ, this very moment, He is to be your hope. So see this morning, as we have walked through this passage, the gospel being preached, that Christ came, He died, He was buried, He rose again. The pay, the penalty, the fullness of it, God's wrath in your place, all your sin upon Himself, that through looking to Him by faith, turning from sin and self, and looking to Christ, He will save you. And He can save you right now. So look to Him, believe in Him, treasure Him, 
Turn to him, and he will save you also. Let's pray. Father, as we come today to the end, or close to the end of our service this morning, as we have gathered to worship you, to glory in you, to set our eyes on you, to lift up the name that is above every name, may our hearts be right there. The gospel in all things, in everything. May we take up the gospel in everything. Lord, forgive us for making anything else primary. Forgive us for not taking up the cross, denying ourselves, and following you. Forgive us for making the American dream the gospel and not letting the gospel be the gospel. Help us, Lord, every single one of us to take these things up and to make our lives about you, not later, not some other day, but today. And may we respond to your word as we sing this song, whether it means that someone here needs to turn and put their faith in Christ even right now. May they do that. Or for us, for believers, we need to turn to Christ for sanctification and respond to your word, not leaving here without responding to it. May you help us do that as we sing in Christ alone because he is our hope and it is in him hope is found. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.